Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, and it's 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Our economic indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Already, people are expecting a disappointing first-quarter GDP number, and Vinny Del Judice, the trade numbers out right now aren't going to help. No, Michael, they'll lead to more disappointment. The trade deficit widening in February to $47.1 billion, more than forecast. The prior month, January, revised a bit wider. Here's one thing that stands out and filters in the GDP. Capital goods exports, basically business investment, dropping to the lowest since November 2011. Again, the Commerce Department reporting the trade deficit February widening to $47.1 billion, more than forecast. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Dale Judice. Let's go back to New York. Oh, Vinny, thanks so much. Uh, it is a jumble, and investment is one of the themes to speak to Abby Joseph Cohen about. She is with Goldman Sachs, and there is, of course, uh, the idea of her framing the equity markets. But the economic backdrop to the equity markets is just as important. Michael, somebody who has been maybe more visible than I've seen in ages out of Carnegie Mellon and Tepper, uh, is one C. Evans of Chicago. Charles Evans speaking last night, talking about the difficulty of making policy and the difficulty for markets, given all of the uncertainty in the world right now. It's it, it's hard to know what risks might be hitting us. That's why you know I just think that we're in a period where there are more uncertainties than you would normally expect. It. I think the uh, the EU. I think uh, uh, refugees coming into the EU. I think the Brexit question. Uh, decelerating growth in China, how, how you know, comfortably is that going to take place? Uh, just a whole host of issues. Yeah, event risks also, this, the U.S. election, let's uh, not get away from that. So how does that, figure, how does that figure out and figure in your thinking? I think there's a large uncertainty around that, too. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different uh, candidates' positions there, and I think businesses are probably weighing what that means for growth going forward and, you know, how the administrations would play out. So it's just natural uncertainty that comes with elections. Charles Evans interviewed on Bloomberg Television Asia by Rashad Salamat, Tom. Well, there it is. And that brings in Abby Joseph Cohen from Goldman Sachs. Abby, have you ever seen it like this? It's If we all assume it's not in the textbooks, negative interest rates and what you heard from Chair Yellen at the Economic Club of New York or from President Evans there, have you ever seen a jumble as we are now in our theory? No, Tom, I very much like the expression you just used, which is a jumble. For those of us who start out as bean counters, you know, actually looking at the data and so on, we get a story, a, a picture, a narrative in the United States, which is reasonably good. Uh, U.S. domestic economy showing sustainable uh, economic growth, which is terrific. We're seeing improvements in the labor markets and, and so on. The biggest jumble right now does appear to be, let's call it the geopolitical uh, environment, uh, specifically outside the United States. I'll come to the U.S. in just a moment. Uh, but you, the time that you spent this morning on Greece, for example, and Brexit, um, and negative interest rates at the top of my list of things that we don't quite know how they work out, really do represent 
um, something new uh, and something that investors are dramatically puzzling through. The good news about the United States is that our central bank made a very conscious decision uh, during the financial crisis and the severe recession to stay away from negative interest rates for very good reasons. Uh, but, you know, at the top of the list here of things that we can't count and we can't calculate and we can't model terribly well, of course, uh, the impact of the uh, current political scene uh, domestically surrounding the presidential election. What do you think uh, is, is most likely to prove of those things to be something that has a lasting effect? Uh, if, if you could tell me today um, how the election was going to turn out, then we might be able to, to judge that. Um, I was very interested in the discussion you had earlier this morning about how the Republican nomination process may turn out. Um, I did an interview uh, first week of January in which I was asked, uh, who are, the, who are the nominees going to be? And I indicated I thought it would be Mrs. Clinton, but also Paul Ryan, um, trying to give the sense of a contested convention. Um, that does now seem to be an increasingly uh, likely scenario. From an economic standpoint, the thing that I am concerned about, particularly outside the United States, are negative interest rates. You know, the Fed made the decision to stay away from negative rates here because they thought it would be very disruptive. They were concerned about the impact on contracts, uh, for example, and on money market mutual funds and so on. And so one of the things we're all watching carefully is whether the move to negative interest rates uh, in Europe and Japan has actually been effective. And I would say the jury is still out. Mm. Uh, negative interest rates have... Um, uh, something that occurs with them, and that is a movement lower in the currency of those nations. Um, and one question is whether the somewhat um, better pace of economic growth in Europe now, is that related to the decline in the euro uh, relative to the dollar over the last several quarters, or is it something else? The other case uh, to watch, of course, is Japan where the focus of Abenomics in terms of moving to negative interest rates was to push up the rate of inflation. They're very concerned about ongoing disinflation. And one of the interesting anecdotes over the last couple of weeks is that the group of labor unions that represent workers uh, in Japan actually lowered their wage requests um, and cited negative interest rates as the reason for it. So in this particular case, it had the opposite impact. Uh, clearly, if they're asking for, for a lower yeah. wage increase, that's not mm. inflationary. Let's come back. Abby Joseph Cohen calling the Republican and Democratic race in January. I might point out Ms. Cohen called the Washington Capitals to be the best team in hockey. She did that in August of last year. We are in awe. And now to the news in New York, Michael Barr. Tom, Mike, thank you very much. Donald Trump says he would make Mexico pay for a border wall by blocking billions of dollars in payments that immigrants send back to Mexico. According to a report in the Washington Post, the Republican frontrunner would force Mexico to pay for the wall by threatening to stop remittances until the nation made a one-time payment of 5 to $10 billion to the U.S. Voters head to the polls today in Wisconsin's primaries. Republican Ted Cruz leads in polling in the state. Cruz held a rally last night in Wakasha. All across Wisconsin, all across this country, people are waking up and help. 
is on the way. Cruz and Markashaw for the Democrats. Bernie Sanders leads in polling in Wisconsin. Villanova University students are getting a holiday today after their team won the NCAA men's basketball tournament. The university canceled classes as students celebrated, and while many fans behaved and they were full of joy, some fans celebrated on Knucklehead Street. Police say six people were arrested, 25 were injured in the celebrations, and one of those arrested was accused of assaulting a state police horse. Global News, 20, you know, it's nowhere to go after that. Back to you guys. Chris, Chris, Chris Whalen was out on Central Park South last night riding one of those carriages. He was on a horse riding one of those carriages around Central what, Park. What can we say? Oh, From NBC Sports, let's bring in John Stasher. Talk about the game, not the horse. Yeah, well, that should be the one guy who should be forced to go to class today. All right, what made the finish to last night's NCAA final in Houston so stunning wasn't just the championship-winning three-pointer at the buzzer by Villanova's Chris Jenkins. It's what happened to get to that point. North Carolina was down 10 with under five minutes to go. They got even in remarkable fashion. Page launching a deep three. It rolls home. Page's prayer is answered. From 30 feet, he reigns it home. 4.7 seconds to go. Marcus Page ties the title game at 74. That was the first tie since 46 all. Westwood won on the call, but the turning most outstanding player, Ryan Archidiacono, handed off to Jenkins. He hit the shot that will be replayed forever. Nova won 77-74. Jenkins will probably never have to pay for another meal. In Philadelphia. Took to the third try, but the Rangers nailed down a playoff berth 4-2 at Columbus. However, Captain Ryan McDonough left the game, blocked the shot, upper body injury. will be reevaluated today. Islanders won 5-2 over Tampa Bay. It'll be cold, but a day late, Yankees and Astros set to start the season today at the stadium in Game 2 for the Mets is this afternoon in Kansas City with the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashdown. John, thanks so much. Mike, did you watch any of the soiree last night? Yes, uh, we yeah. had one had to had to tune in. It was a it was quite an ending. I mean, 22 seconds left. Villanova up by three, and then uh, North Carolina ties it yeah. on that amazing uh, three point shot. And then who who could have figured what happened at the end? There? Yeah, Marvel Technology. Have we covered this this morning? No. Is Mike, we they, have not. They, they've shown the CEO the door. Thanks to Zero Hedge for bringing up the Bloomberg headline. We miss things here, folks. We're so busy, and there's so much news flow. 7,200 employees domiciled out of Hamilton, Bermuda, and Marvel Technology, uh, the CEO president employment terminated by board. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Untuck It. Think your shirt is too long to wear? Untucked it probably is. Untuck It has solved this, making shirts designed to be worn untucked. Visit untuckit.com and use the code WBBR for 15. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow, and this update is brought to you by Bentley University's Prepared You Project. Are millennials ready for the workplace? The Prepared You Research Study has answers that might surprise you. Visit bentley.edu slash prepare to download an infographic overview. 
America's trade deficit widened in February to a six-month high as an increase in imports exceeded a more modest pickup in shipments overseas. The gap increased 2.6 percent to $47.1 billion from a revised $45.9 billion in January. At 10 o'clock Wall Street time, we get the Jolts Jobs Report. The yen jumping to a 17-month high. Government bonds are climbing as increasing concern that global economic growth is faltering. Stokes demand for haven assets. Stocks are falling around the world. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 18 points. Dow E-mini futures down 129. And NASDAQ E-mini futures down 34. DAX in Germany is down 2 point or two and a half percent. Ten-year Treasury up 12.30 seconds. The yield 1.72 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 8 tenths percent or 29 cents to 35.41 a barrel. COMEX gold is up 1.4 percent or $17.50 to 12.36.80 an ounce. The euro $1.1377. The yen won 10.59. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is 8.48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. We've been hearing a lot about the growth of the gig economy. Now we actually have some numbers. Two economists, replicating a survey that the government stopped doing in 2005 due to funding constraints, have found that the share of U.S. workers in alternative work arrangements rose from 10.1% in 2005 to 15.8% in 2015. This accounted for all the net employment growth in the U.S. over those years. These alternative workers are independent contractors, on-call workers, and workers provided by contract firms and temporary help agencies. Few are getting their gigs via online platforms such as Uber or TaskRabbit. That shouldn't be too surprising. This survey aimed to identify people with alternative work arrangements in their main jobs, and other studies have found that most people selling services in the online gig economy are moonlighting. What is a little surprising is that workers 55 and older and those with college educations are much more likely to be in alternative work arrangements than others. The growth of the gig economy is being driven not so much by struggling millennials as by well-educated 60-year-olds. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Abby Joseph Cohen with us with Goldman Sachs, obviously. Uh, she is Institute President and Senior uh, Investment Strategist for them. Abby, um, let's cut through the mathematics of the CFA Institute. Let's cut through the reaction functions. I love Glenn Hubbard's question to Chair Yellen on reaction functions the other day. And let's talk about common sense. Would you please explain how I can retain ownership of shares or acquire shares this morning in an iconic American blue chip, 17 billion in revenues, trading at 25 times earnings with a 2% yield, 2.2% yield, and its dividend growth is 7.5%. Yet everybody loves it. Why are we buying these consumer stocks and pricing them to perfection? We're doing that, Tom, and that's a wonderful question because people are nervous. 
you know, as we spoke about earlier, there's a whole long list of things that are troubling people, some of it related to the economy, some of it related to the political environment, and some of it related to the rest of the world. But the valuation work that we do, which we think is an important part of industry selection and stock selection, shows that there is now this very wide divergence before, between the so-called safe names and the ones that depend upon some economic growth. Um, and our feeling is that that's where you go for the opportunity. Um, you know, there's a way to use a valuation model to reverse engineer it. If you assume, for example, that today's price is correct, you can then solve it and say, okay, what is the five-year earnings growth number that would make today's price the right number? Uh, and by the way, in March 2009, which turned out to be the bottom of the bear market, the overall S&P 500 was trading as if five-year earnings growth each and every year would be a minus 8 to minus 10. So if you use the same sort of analysis today, which are the industries and sectors that look most attractive? Because what's being priced in is negative earnings growth. And at the top of the list would be names like financials, uh, industrials, uh, telecom, and healthcare. Well, if you're looking at, at, at those, um, how long is it going to take to get to you know, the point where it's worthwhile? Um, also a very interesting question, and I will turn it back to you and say, <laughs> when will people stop being nervous about uh, item number one? the presidential election. And what history basically shows is that as you approach November and as it becomes increasingly clear who's going to win, markets tend to calm down and they tend to take on a longer time horizon. Uh, by the way, um, usually, but not all the time in the United States, the uh, candidate with the most popular support becomes president. Um, and so most people feel increasingly good about the environment because most people are supporting the winner. Um, the other thing, of course, that is very much up in the air is the global economy. Um, we are um, a bulwark of strong growth uh, in the United States, at yeah. least on a relative basis. Um, and the concerns that we have uh, really are related uh, to Europe, um, uh, Latin America, and, and some parts right. of Asia. But here's the heart of the matter, uh, Abby. One more question, and we'll let you go. I just created a chart for tomorrow's television show, which shows the miracle of U.S. nominal GDP since the ugliness of 08 as compared to the animal spirit nominal GDP of the Eurozone. Do you buy the value of these troubled economies, or do you go with the creative destruction of the United States, where, yeah, it's recovered, but there's further to go? Which way is it? My preference um, is the U.S., and some of my Goldman Sachs colleagues may disagree with me. But when I take a look at some of these other nations, I say, you know what, they're dealing with some longer-term structural issues. Their potential economic growth has been hurt by their failure to invest in the future. They have very slow population growth, um, and they've, they're not as innovative um, as, as is the United States. Mm. So I, I always come back um, uh, to the U.S. The other thing I would 
point to is that we have had much more effective government policy. Our Fed and other regulators really took a tough love approach uh, during the financial crisis and early stages of the recession. That's just now happening uh, in some of these other countries, and that does have a problem. What I would love to see in the U.S., though, is more effective use of fiscal policy. Let's take advantage of these low interest rates to do things like build and rebuild our infrastructure. And it's not just the roads and the bridges. It's also high-speed broadband access for everyone here. Well, Abby Joseph Cohen on Tough Love. She learned all that from Barry Trotz of the Washington Capitals. We know she did that. We'll have her back on as the Stanley Cup uh, comes through and uh, get her hockey update here on the Hockey Network. Ms. Cohen is with uh, Goldman Sachs. Mike, uh, valiant headlines, which are like, so what? Except the stock moves. Uh, nice Val- up yeah. 10% plus move. Uh, Valiant uh, shares at the moment up uh, 13%. That was up as much as 17% in immediate reaction to a release from Valiant yeah. saying a special board committee found no additional accounting issues at the company that would require more restatements. It plans to file its annual report. Remember, it had been delayed on or before April 29th. It is a rounding error after the drop in middle of March from 70 down to 26. And the last, oh, couple weeks, excuse me, the last 10 trading days have really been ugly for Valiant. Not dramatic, but nevertheless, this is a stock that couldn't find a bid. It does this morning, as Mike mentions, up over 10%. 29.41 is the active pre-market, and we'll see where that goes. 29, <coughs> excuse me, that gets it back to a valuation of, oh, I'm going to call it March 23rd or 24th. <laughs> uh, 13% gain. We'll see uh, once the, no. the the stock opens yeah. uh, for trading. And it's a belt. We've got Abby Joseph Cohen on, who, love her or hate her, everybody loves to hear from Miss Joseph Cohen. And you go, should we cut off Abby Joseph to talk about Valiant? But this time we made the decision because we did get a, a Valiant stock move in the troubled it, Valiant uh, stock. It has been uh, big news. The NFL is apparently confirming the Twitter deal, but they're still not telling us what is it what they're going to pay for this. They're not going to pay, but, but know that, what is it? Little tweets? Uh, he has the ball. No, they're going to on the uh, moment. Apparently, on the moments uh, part of the app, they're going to stream the game, and then mm-hmm. side by side, you can watch yeah. tweets about the game. Um, Interesting. We know that NBC paid something like forty-five. Uh, billion dollars for rights for the next five years or so to to carry this. So I, I mean, I this is a this is an expensive uh, game yeah. to get into. I, forty-five I was, million a game. NBC and Com- uh, CBS. You wonder where all this forty-five will be million in, a game. in five years? Because like in hockey, NBC Sports has the game, or MSG, or this, that, yeah. or the other thing, and you want to get on Apple TV and you can't. Bloomberg surveillance on Twitter. We're actually we're there. Be we're streaming on streaming, I say, on Twitter. They, Michael how much do they pay for us? <laughs> <laughs> we pay them. It's Bloomberg surveillance. <laughs>